And hey, welcome back to the podcast. Racking up more goals than, well, than James Brighton has in the last week. And we'll rack up more than that. It's the Peachtree Post alongside Jason Longshore. I'm Jarrett Smith. Jason, how's, uh, how's your week going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Getting all kinds of crazy Atlanta United rumors, uh, lots of academy stuff, and kind of the the bombshell today, or I don't even know if the, you can call it a bombshell today. It was just this whole stadium thing is is spreading like wildfire. Yeah, it was just kind of there hanging off to the side and everyone... As you as you explained it to me, it was just kind of it was there, and people like you went, "What's that stadium story?" And everyone kind of shrugged, and you look at it, and oh, that that that's news. Yeah, you start connecting the dots, and it's like, uh, okay, wait a minute, there's something here. This is this is uh, a story. Yeah, I mean that's um, it certainly is. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, head on over to Dirty South Soccer, uh, which is where you should always head to for anything concerning Atlanta soccer. Um, but there's a story up today. Now it's understood before today that, and you know, as you're listening to this on a Friday morning, and we are speaking to you from the past, uh, the stadium is looking at getting delayed. The whole idea being that the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium will be open in time for the Falcons' pr- uh, preseason, which is fine for the Falcons. Unfortunately for them, the MLS calendar kind of marches to the beat of its own drum as opposed to the you know UEFA Champions League drum. And so we already know that Atlanta United is going to be playing at Bobby Dodd Stadium. Now it's just a matter of how long, and this may kind of change things up a bit. Yeah, there was a ceremony yesterday to mark the completion of the the fixed roof. And there was some news around that. In the Atlanta Business Chronicle, the head of the project, the project superintendent, Bob Evans, told Phil Hudson at the Chronicle, uh, quote, the goal is to have the stadium completed by the start of the Falcons 2017 season. That sets off some alarm bells. So you start looking back and there was a quote from Steve Cannon, who Steve Cannon's the CEO of Atlanta United's parent company, um, the Arthur M. Blank Group that owns United, owns Falcons, owns the stadium, all that stuff. So he gave an interview to Tim Tucker, um, really more on the football side. But in that quote, Tucker asked him about Atlanta United starting at the stadium And Steve Cannon said, we're shooting for the summer. And whether that summer is late June or early July, that is dependent on the MLS schedule as well as the process for the stadium, the testing process. And they talked a little bit about how they'll be taking over like parts of the stadium in segments. So they're hoping to have, I think, offices and some things done in April and go on from there. So it's unclear as to when the stadium will be fully complete they're saying by the start of the falcons 2017 season that could be the first week of august if they have a home uh preseason game that week or it could be the third week of august if they do if the nfl does what they did with miami this year who was renovating sun life stadium now hard rock stadium and you call it whatever you want the name will change in a week probably I always call it Joe Robbie still. So, uh, land shark. <laughs> oh wow, I forgot about the land shark. 
Nice. Um, so Miami was on the road the first two weeks of the preseason to give them that extra buffer, and they actually ended up needing it. So we'll see. This is this is a little bit different than the news out of the United side of the organization around the Bobby Dodd announcement. The best college professor, well, one of the best college, I had a lot of good ones. One of the best college professor I ever had always told us that the problem with communication is the illusion that it occurs. And with so many moving parts, that definitely seems like that could be one of the issues at hand here. Not necessarily to blame faults on anybody in particular, but the, the communication of when things are getting done and how things are communicated kind of might might have gotten lost here in terms of when things are going to be ready and who they're going to be ready for specifically. So while that email about, you know, we're going to be playing a Bobby Dodd, yeah, that's that's settled. Don't don't freak out. You're still going to be able to march from the varsity across the bridge uh, with a stomach full of grease to the game. You're still going to be able to do that. We just don't know how long that's going to go on for is kind of the lead here. Yeah, I mean, the, the agreement and, and United was clear when they announced Bobby Dodd that the agreement to use Bobby Dodd Stadium runs through the end of July. And at the time, they, they talked about having you know, just that extra time just in case. And now the just in case might be more of a reality than we, we thought it might be. It's hard to tell. I mean, this could be really their way of creating that buffer in case we have bad weather this winter, in case there's any other construction delays, it, any kind of construction project like this, things happen. So maybe it's just to give yourself that cushion just in case something happens. Um, the other thing that kind of came out of all this was we talked about this not being a cheap move for Atlanta United and Arthur Blank. And the club mentioned that in a, a Q&A that they, they handed out to the media. They said that, you know, Blank and Atlanta United are paying all the costs to play at Tech. Um, and it's an investment that Arthur is making in the team and the fans to give them a chance to be competitive and also have them play soccer in Atlanta sooner than expected. So, and they're also talking about how Georgia tech will benefit from it as well. And, and everything around that. And one of the things you mentioned in the article, Jason is the, um, the gold cup and the international champions cup. If this thing's ready in time, you know, you're talking about hosting like premier matchups and I'm sure, you know, that blank and crew who are going to own the stadium would love to host those, in Atlanta, those those sort of events, it'd be big, and it would be huge for the city, and it, it frankly, it'd fill the pocketbooks. Yeah, and I think that's something to look for in some of the next announcements if you're, you're trying to read the tea leaves as to how progress on the stadium is going. If Atlanta is you know, announced as a host of Gold Cup games, it's going to be between July 7 and 26. So if, if we're announced as a host the stadium will be ready by then because um, they're not going to move that to Bobby Dodd. If yeah. we're announced as the host of International Champions Cup, which would be late July, early August, again, then you, you can feel a little bit better about when things are going to be ready. I think Atlanta will definitely host these types of events at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I don't know if it'll be ready in time to host them this year. And I Maybe, maybe let me rephrase. I don't know if they'll feel comfortable when announcements are made that it will be ready in time to host these events. And make no mistake about it, 
uh, you don't build a new stadium like this just for, you know, to give the Falcons a new home and get a Super Bowl. Like, that's great. But with bringing an MLS team in here, you're bringing in a situation where, uh, I can't remember where I saw it the other day, the idea that the United States is kind of the leader in the clubhouse very, very early on, don't get me wrong, for the 2026 World Cup. Yeah you'll have a number of major events, you know, possibly World Cup in that instance, Gold Cup, International Champions Cup, uh, MLS All-Star Game. They're thinking big when they made this in the first place. This is part of the plans. If they get one in the first year, that'd be awesome. And as you said, it'd be an interesting way to lead, to read the tea leaves. But if they don't get it next year, I still think that's a thing down the line for the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So not a total disaster, but it would be a nice little telling thing to what's going to happen down the line and be an interesting way I'd be interested from a from a perspective of running the event to see how they handle it on uh right out of the gate. Yeah, and that that could be the other thing that maybe makes them pass on these events this time because you know they talked about the testing process, they talked about this. There there's been some questions on whether Atlanta United could play in a partially completed Mercedes-Benz Stadium and I don't know exactly I, – one, I don't know if that's possible, and I don't know what type of scale of completion we're talking about. I'm not sure the order of how things are going to be completed. You know, if maybe if the upper deck is not ready, could they play in the lower bowl? I, I don't think that's what they want to do unless they absolutely have to. Um, I think they want to – play games at Bobby Dodd and make that an experience and the best experience they can for the fans – and then when they're able to move into Mercedes-Benz, have it be absolute first class, ready to roll, not a halfway opening. I don't think that's what they want to do. No, I agree with you completely. I think it is a, we're going to fire this off the way we want to. Um, the contract, as you said, runs uh, for Georgia Tech, would you say runs into August? End of July. Or end of July, I'm sorry. In, I was thinking into August, sorry, not end of. Uh, it runs to the end of July, so they'll use it if they have to, but if they get it done in time, they're going to want to do this, but they're going to want to do it right. So, Yeah, and that was said I, specifically. If you know the, the contract runs to the end of July, that's not a guarantee that all of their games through the end of July will be played at Bobby Dodd. They're going to move into Mercedes-Benz as soon as it's possible. And what I'm kind of wondering is if maybe when the MLS schedule comes out, uh, they they do the schedule for Atlanta, you know, based off what they know and what they've been told is essentially Bobby Dodd is to be booked like any other stadium. Uh, it hasn't been confirmed by the club, but uh, Doug Roberson mentioned it from the AJC. And you look back at the history, I don't see any way Atlanta United plays at Bobby Dodd for the first four weeks of April. Because of Georgia Tech spring football, they used the stadium for those four Saturdays last year or this year, and I would expect they do the same next year. So outside of those games and any other, if they try to, you know, give us some bye weeks in there and maybe have us play a couple more road games in this segment of time than a normal team would, I think maybe the games in July or possibly June and July on the MLS schedule when it comes out might not specify where they're going to be yet. And it could be announced at a later date. Yeah, that's, that's, that's another 
issue at hand now. If you want to be that kind of person, and we've gone over this before, but if you want to be that kind of person to go in there and do kind of the a beautiful mind thing where the numbers start floating off the screen at you, um, yeah, pull up the what pull up the idea of when the schedule comes out next year. Combine that with the international breaks. You can make you can, you can swing this where they can minimize home games, especially in April between the break. Uh, I think there's at least one break in April. Combine it with road games, turn it into a road trip, and uh, even if you kept it more of a as a localized road trip, not like an entire West Coast sort of thing where we you know kill these guys over four a four hour stretch. But you can swing that where they're out of town for April, and then use Bobby Dot accordingly the rest of the time. I just don't want it to run into August as well because frankly, I don't really want, and I'm sure they don't either. I don't want to get in a fight with Georgia Tech Athletics about their stadium. I sure as hell don't want to get a fight with uh, Paul Johnson about his stadium athletics. They lost their mind with a women's team. They'll surely, uh, you know, have have uh, opinions about what an MLS team would do to that field potentially. Yeah, that, that's all we need is a, a square off at, at the 50-yard line between Tata Martino and Paul Johnson over the quality of the field. Yeah, well, we'll just show. Yeah, Tata will run out of four three three. He's going to show Paul Johnson what a real triple option attack looks like. <laughs> this is true. Sorry, Georgia Tech fans. We apologize. I'm, I'm not sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I got not, I got, actually. I I watched Georgia Tech sit on Vanderbilt for sixty minutes, the same Vanderbilt team that Georgia couldn't. So I don't know what's real anymore anyway. At this yeah, point. yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, just, anyway. just remember the hate mail goes to Jarrett Smith. Go for it. Do it. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, this thing's gonna be gonna be tricky. You you start to play with the dates, you start to play with the the schedule, and I think you could legitimately see MLS schedule two games at Bobby Dodd in March and yeah. one game in April, uh, the last Saturday in April, once the spring game is over for Tech, and then two in June and two in July. Even if you go to the end of July mm-hmm. and what you're talking seven home games there out of uh, 17. So they could definitely minimize, even if you go all the way into the end of July at Bobby Dodd, you could still keep it to seven games comfortably and not wreck anything from a competitive standpoint, except for that four game stretch, four week stretch in April where you'd either have to play away or maybe work a bye week in there too. Um, it's doable to minimize this this issue, but it's going to be an issue. And and hopefully the the club can handle it well. Hopefully the club can keep the fans as, as happy as possible with this delay. And, and hopefully people are, you know, as understanding as they can be. Yeah, that's, that's going to be what it comes down to. There will be always be people. You're not going to have everyone 100% happy. There are always going to be going to be people who are upset, and you just kind of have to live with that. Um, but they're going to find a way to make this work. The schedule makers, the people for Atlanta United, the people Bobby Dodd, they're going to find a way to make this work. Um, as we've gone over before, Bobby Dodd's going to be a really interesting experience for everyone. The stadium will get done. They're like, here's the thing: the dome is going to be gone at a certain point because they're going to need the parking. So it's not like they're going to play Falcons games next fall in a parking lot next to this beautiful aperture of a stadium. Yeah, that that's not happening. That's yeah, completely it's, it's not, off the table. So don't even. So let's it. 
yeah, let's just get that out of the system right now. Like, it's not like the stadium's not going to be ready and until 2018. It'll be ready. It's just a matter of when at this point. And that's, we're sort of fine with that at this point. I mean, we know it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. And there's just a matter of patience. We haven't seen a misstep yet that leads me to believe that this is going to get pear-shaped on Atlanta United's end. Atlanta United's end. So now we just kind of now we just kind of wait. Yeah, I mean, some people are going to look for anything to say. Oh, there it is, there it is. The the Falcons are more important. I mean, they Atlanta that one. Yeah, I mean, p- people are going to jump for something. Uh, if the stadium is not ready until August one, they didn't intentionally screw over Atlanta United and say, "Oh, well, we'll just." go have some long lunches and not have the stadium ready. I mean, it's not a good thing. It's going to cost them a lot of money to play at Bobby Dodd. It's a lot of headaches that a club in its first year doesn't want to deal with. But when it comes down to the best way they can handle this and the best way Atlanta United can can make this good is to put a good product on the field and be competitive. Yeah, and um, speaking of having competitive and having stadiums that are already tangible. Uh, over on the west side of town, there's a tangible stadium that kind of has the pace moniker on it, but it has a team that seems to run a buzzsaw through everybody. Ooh, and, they, that they did against uh, Concord last week. Oh, my man, gosh. Rivalries are supposed to be competitive. You know, <laughs> it, it was funny watching it. So so I went to both games. I hadn't seen the 16s as much this year, and I really wanted to, to see a good bit of that game. And I, I, want, I went last year to one of the Georgia United Concord games, and there's definitely a rivalry, and there was a rivalry this time, uh, in the 18s especially. Early on, that game had an edge that you don't see as much at the academy level, which is a great thing. We need more games like that. And Concord was was in it on the 18 side for quite a while. Um, Atlanta United missed a ton of chances. And that's been a bit of a recurring theme in their last few games with the 18s. It's something to keep an eye on. Um, It's the academy. It's kids. They're learning. Hopefully they can keep developing from this. But it's something that is a bit of an issue with that squad they broke through probably midway through the second half and really started to pull away in this game. Um, and the 18s ended up winning 5-2. Lagos Kunga, uh, who it's actually today is his birthday, so when he hears this, it would be the next day, but happy birthday, Lagos. Uh, he had a hat trick, and he's really starting to find his form. Uh, it's, been, it's been fun to watch him kind of get better every game that I've seen the 18s. Yeah, that's... Um... We, we all went out there for the first one, and the 18s just marched all over. Uh, the, I guess it was the Chargers they were playing that day. Yeah, Clearwater. Uh, Clearwater. They just, you know, basically Clearwater tried to sucker punch them with a with a trick-free kick that we were all kind of surprised by. And that was their best shot. Atlanta got off the mat and just started squatting them for the next 45 minutes. Um, and the 16s, yeah, it was, the 16s was a really weird game to watch that first time. And I guess I guess what I missed in that one, what I took away from it, first of all, was that Atlanta Atlanta's target forward is built like Javorski Lane, the old Texas A and M fullback. Ooh, that's old school. <laughs> he is. 
kind of, yeah. Brighton, and and I think someone said on Reddit, Brighton's on pace for like 40 goals. Like he's found his stride there as well. Um, they're big, they're fast, they're good. Like the 16s are fun, and they're just doing work right now. And that's not to take away from the 18s at all, but the 18s are winning games. The 16s are just are making an exhi- exhibition out of other people it, at their expense. It's fun to watch them back-to-back, and I was glad that I could see almost all of the 16s game this uh, past time and immediately after the 18s because there's some subtle differences in the way they play. Um, the The 16s are more narrow in their attack. They're, they're wingers. They both play a, a 4-3-3, essentially, 4-2-3-1. Um, the 16s play more of one holding mid as opposed to two, and the 18s play two. But the 16s, the the wide forwards of the wingers pinch in a whole lot more. And on the 18s, they stay wider, especially in the Concord game, because you you saw with the 18s, they're they're trying to find the right combination at outside back. And the outside backs weren't going as much forward in the game against Concord. So uh, Mike Gilly and it, it kind of rotates. They rotate people around in spots with the 18s. Uh, Kunga will play as a number 10 and he'll play as on the right side. Then he'll play on the left side. Um, Illy will switch from the right to the left side. Macho Chol, who will play on the, the left side or the right side, or sometimes as the 10, they rotate a lot around a Conquo and, but they stay wide. So it's interesting to watch the differences. Um, out of the 18s, the guys who are really impressing me are uh, Lagos for one, Lagos Kunga. Every game he's gotten better. And the thing that he has that probably no one else on the 18s has is a change of pace. And you see it with Carlton and when you watch the the clips of him and you watch him in games where he has that that change of pace with the ball at his feet. And, and Kunga definitely has that, and it's gotten better and better and better taking people on 1v1. He is, he is very left-footed. Um, he has a right foot. It's more than a rumor, but he's, he's extremely <laughs> left-footed. Um, but he still finds a way to create space. Yeah, that's... Um, you know, yeah, it's that's coming. One, yeah, that's one way to put it. <laughs> it's more than a rumor. It's, it's more than a rumor. I've seen him use it. But he doesn't like to, and he doesn't need to very often is the thing. Um, and Mike Illy, especially in the game against Concord, really impressed me. Uh, early in the season, he was – it seemed like he would play one game and then sit out a game, or he'd be a first sub um, coming out in the second half. And he was a monster against Concord. He just was constantly creating things and creating things and – had a ton of chances. He finally got his goal right at the end, and he deserved it. He he played very very well. You can see his confidence really growing, and that's that's the thing with uh, the 18s with Kunga, with Illy, with Macho Chol out wide. Chol is probably the best one v one dribbler in that group, and his crossing and his passing is getting better and better and better. That group. Still has room to grow, but the 16s so far are just wrecking people. Yeah, the eight, the 18s are Apollo Creed, and they're here to beat you, and they're going to do it some way. 
the sixteens right now are 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 uh, the sixteen right now are the big rush, and they're here to break you. They're not just trying to beat you. They're they're here to break you emotionally, and they're doing it like you said. The sixteens have played ten official games, if you include the Generation Adidas Cup games, and they've won nine and tied one. Um, they they're seven and seven and zero oh in U.S. Soccer Development Academy. Uh, their goal difference is obscene. Um, it's it's impressive, and it's not just the attack either about that group. And that was when I what I was glad about seeing them was the guys who really impressed me on Saturday against Concord. Uh, Brighton for one, he he reminds me more and more of Jordan Morris. Uh, just very athletic, really good in the box. He, he's got that mix of, of technique with speed and power. Um, I, I completely miss Brighton's a guy who a lot of people don't know much about because he's from South Georgia and he played for South Georgia Tormenta in the PDL this past summer with college players. And he's 15 playing with college players this summer and he scored three goals. Um, the kid can play and the kids played with people bigger and stronger than him. So he's, he's obviously the one who's standing out with all the goals he's scoring. But you look at the defensive midfielder, Alessandro Castro and the center backs who played in the game against Concord, Will Crane and Kendall Edwards. It was the first time I'd seen Edwards. He's played with uh, Jamaica's U17s in Caribbean cup qualifying and he is a beast at center back, big, strong, technical. He's he's got a, a well rounded game already. And Crane is the captain of this group, and it reminds me a lot of Figueroa with the 18s. Um, definitely a leader. He can play with both feet. Um, just a steady, steady center back. And Edwards is the just freak athlete. So the 16s have a lot of strong pieces, and. You might not see a lot of homegrown signings before we start in 2017. You will soon after that. And maybe it's the offseason going into 2018. Maybe it's even in the summer of 2017. I don't know. But you've got a lot of guys on deck who could be potential signings. Yeah, that's that's the big thing to me. And we, as we talked about before the show – just the center backs are just I'm I'm giddy. Like we we've and and the reason I am is and not to say that they're going to step right in and you're going to have like 17-year-old center backs playing an MLS game. Please don't do that. That only ends in tears for all of us. But we've seen what happens when you don't have solid defensive play, especially for a young team looking at you Orlando. So, if that means we can shore things up now and we're developing people to shore it up down the line. Like I- I'm here for that. hundred percent. Exactly. I mean, you look at this group, you've got a center back on the 18s who was just called in to the USU 19 national team. You've got a center back on the 16s who was called into Jamaica's U 17 national team. You've got Will Crane, who is just starting to get some national recognition. I think Top Tour Soccer included him in his top, in their top hundred players for his age in the country. Um, and what you said about playing a young center back, let's not forget Justin Glad 
with Rail Salt Lake is 19. And he is playing a lot with them and been very good this year. So it's not completely out of the ordinary for this to happen. And maybe you see it this time. Um, maybe so. Um, like you said, there's there's a lot of raw talent here. And I still stand by that You know, maybe this won't be the case going forward because of the attention that not just Atlanta United but also Concord is generating now uh, beyond beyond just the Southeast. But maybe Georgia won't be the Paul Millsap of developmental soccer where it's kind of underrated and everyone's like, oh, that's really good. We just, no one knows about it. It's, no one other than the people who really care know about it. It's definitely getting past that. And, and Concord too now. Concord had some players who came from Georgia United and didn't make the Atlanta United Academy teams. They have uh, Junior Pineda and Carlos Pineda with the U18s who are both part of El Salvador's youth national teams. And uh, Juan Pablo. They played well, if I'm not mistaken, too. They did. They did. Um, I believe Junior drew two penalty kicks, if I'm not mistaken, and and Carlos played very well. Um, those are two very good players, and also uh, Juan Pablo Torres, who was part of Georgia United for a long time. He's on Concord's roster now. I don't know if he – he didn't play on Saturday. Um, he was training with some teams in Europe, and don't know if that fell through. Or I'm not sure where that goes, but he did pop up on Concord's roster, so we'll see what happens there. But there's, there's talent, and there's going to be more talent. I mean, this is before you have – a year of professional development with the Atlanta United guys that a level of training that these players have never had before. The crazy thing is we've talked about the 18s and the 16s and all these players. We haven't even gotten into Chris Goslin, Charlie Asensio, Zion Jones, and Andrew Carlton's supposed to be there too at residency with the U 17s and Jackson Conway, who just got called into the U 16s. Yeah, and Jackson Conway made himself known by um, basically just kicking a field goal. Like <laughs> half the length of the field, and he just kind of casually bounced in. And if you haven't seen that yet, uh, first off, where have you been? Yes. And second half, uh, second off, you can pretty much find it anywhere at this point. Um, it's on Dirty South Soccer, I'm pretty sure. But he, he scores from half. He scores from half field uh, in the uh, Generation Adidas Cup, which is a, if you're going to score from half field, that's a great place to do it. It's, Just so we're clear. It's a nice place to announce your presence. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the thing. I was, and I was thinking, like, we haven't talked about a couple of these guys who are the big names. It's almost like we went in knowing these big names, and then you've got all these guys who aren't, and that's not to say there's anything wrong with them, but guys who aren't, like, national names. Like, Con, yeah, Con, Conway's going to get called in to the national team. Like, some of these guys aren't called into the national team and they're solid as hell. Just because you don't get called in the national team isn't an indictment on your skill as an actual player. So that let, let's get that clear right now as well. Yeah. That just because you're not getting called into the national team doesn't mean you're not good. And it's it's easy to forget about the two, uh, Carlos Asensio and, and Zion Jones, who haven't... You know, they uh, Jones and Goslin played with the U16s at Generation Adidas, but... These guys have been in U17 residency the whole time. Like they're not going to be playing in the developmental academy games, and those are two potential homegrown signings as well. 
Zion Jones has been one of the revelations of the U-17 national team here recently, and he has really burst onto the scene in the last probably year nationally. So there's there's a ton of guys, and it's been said that you're going to see quite a few academy players train with the first team in January when training camp starts. You could see a homegrown signing or two happen then if guys really show well. But you'll see a lot of guys get an opportunity to train with the first team then and to show what they can do. So that's when we'll have a really good picture of where guys are and how close they are to pro deals and kind of the next steps for quite a few of these players. Well, I'm excited. Um, I'm excited about the 16s, 18s, and even going younger than that. And the more I look at it, the more I'm excited about what's it going to look like six years from now. You know, when we kind of take, that's not even a super long look ahead, but when we take a look ahead, like, what's it going to look like in the future? Like, this this could get really, this could get really, I don't want to say unfair, but yeah, it could get really unfair for everyone else really quickly. It's, it's easy for the new MLS teams coming in to, to do things the right way at, an accelerated level, it's probably easier for an Atlanta United to do this academy at this type of level than it would be for a, I don't want to beat up on them like I always do, but Chicago. Do it. (laughs) Expose them. I mean, Chicago's had such a history and a long time of doing things that it's harder for them to go from zero to 60 where Atlanta United just started at 60. And went from there. Um, I felt like Atlanta United had a blueprint to do things right, but also had a nice little list of what not to do's. Well, exactly. Exactly. They were able to learn from some of the mistakes that different teams have made. They were also able to take advantage of the work that Georgia United did to kind of lay the groundwork for a top academy in this system. And now, you know, Richard Money has come in and and got everything off the ground and everything's looking great so far. Once Tata Martino gets here and really starts to stamp his imprint on it, it's going to go to a whole nother level because that's what he's known for from Newell's. And that's what his assistant coach, Jorge Thieler, is known from at Newell's is developing young talent. And with their input into the academy, that's already really good. It's going to be off the charts and it, it has all the potential in the world to compete with Dallas, which is the gold standard when it comes to youth player development in MLS. Yeah, you've, 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 you've basically, there's, there's the potential for a giant Frankenstein's monster here. You have a coach who likes to develop young talent and make it really explosive. You've put him in a state that has a lot of young talent that is potentially explosive already. And to the east of town, you've got one of the most diverse square, couple square miles of land in this country with plenty of talent that is explosive. This is, this is good. Well, these things, these, these are good things. I mean, let's look at the, the players that we're talking about, you know, across the board, you've got such a diverse group of talent. You have, African refugees, you have Latinos, you have native-born Americans, you have such a diverse mix. You have Caribbean. (laughs) I mean, 
Atlanta is that melting pot, and a lot of people outside of the South might not think of these things, but Atlanta's going to shock some people with what they're putting on the field, and their homegrown players are definitely going to shock some people. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what the Academy looks like. Like I said, six years from now, not just in terms of raw talent, but when they start going to competitions and Atlanta's Academy just starts showing out, and just starts cracking skulls because there there will be a time. Oh, that, I mean, that time was the generation Adidas Cup. That time's already oh, here. Oh no, I mean it's 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 going to get worse. Okay, there will be more. There will be more blood. Well, the thing that, we're going to we're going to see how much blood those bodies can hold up at uh, other academies. Wow. Um, to me, the game changer is the kid who is in the stands on opening day at Bobby Dodd Stadium now. In an Atlanta United T-shirt, who says I want to do that someday? And oh, when, hey, open a open a girls' academy up. I'm putting my daughter in. All of it. I mean, when yeah, that's a whole other side. That God, I, that's that we could go on for a couple hours on that one. We'll have to hold that. But yeah, that's fine. Just in general, the the kids that are five, six, seven, eight, who are going to be in the stands at Bobby Dodd on opening day, and will grow up with this team knowing it and knowing what it is and what it can be and wanting to be part of it. That's when it all really hits a whole nother level. And you've seen it with some MLS teams. You've seen, you know, players who are now playing in MLS who grew up as fans of that team. When that starts to happen here and kids say, I want to be Andrew Carlton. I want to be Chris Goslin. That's the game changer. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I'm man that's that's the thing is like I think that's something that gets overlooked and it shouldn't be is that it's not it's not right now it's it's the it's the resonance it's it's the aftershock and the aftershock is going to go for a long time you know you you're going to have a face of a franchise that's going to impact kids 10 15 20 years down the line so plop them in the academy and you know it it is a vicious cycle though because you know, child A becomes this kid who goes, I want to be so-and-so. I want to be Carlton. And they start going through the academy and maybe they make it. Then, you know, child A becomes becomes that Carlton who everyone else watches and you've got the next generation and so on and so forth. Um, this is how you build not just, not just a team. This is how you build a club for a community and an entire club and a community basically the club as a community and the trickle down is that's how you create a lasting presence for the sport because yes we're talking about Atlanta United and you have 20 to 25 kids at the U18s and the U16s there's more than 25 good players in those age groups Concord is going to get better because of Atlanta United Georgia United is going to get better. All the clubs around the metro area are going to get better because kids are going to grow up and say, I want to be Andrew Carlton. I want to be Chris Goslin," And they're going to want to play. And not all of them are going to find their way to Atlanta United. Not all of them are going to find their way to Atlanta United immediately. And all the other clubs and just the scene as a whole is going to improve because of what Atlanta United is doing. And this is, and it's something that's that's uniquely American compared to Europe. Is you know, we have college football, whereas you have you know club football over uh, over in Europe, and you know maybe AFL in Australia for whatever the hell they're doing. 
um, you have this thing that is a multi-generational, it, it feeds down and it goes on for generations and you may have no connection to a university for college football in the South, for example, you have something that is just ingrained in your blood, whether you know it or not. That's what you can create if you do things right. Something that is just ingrained into generations from now. That's where it's headed. And they're planting all the right seeds and this commitment to youth. It's, it's beneficial from a roster construction perspective because you get benefits from having homegrown players that can play and that are good. But the long-term knock-on effects of that are going to change the landscape. I mean, I, I've talked about it with people when, when I fell in love with soccer as a kid. I didn't have people to look up to. There wasn't a pro league. There wasn't a team in Atlanta. There wasn't anything. I had Diego Maradona, who that was it. And I, I, I had Peter Crouch. Oh, I'm sorry. I couldn't find another tall striker who didn't, who, who so beautifully combined a questionable athleticism with just pure clumsiness at times. He could, he could dance though. I, Y'all don't, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but I didn't have that, you know, and there's been plenty of kids who didn't have it. And you've seen a few who, you know, did grow up on the Silverbacks or grew up on the Ruckus and and had it in a limited dose. But this is going to be, again, like we say, it's going to be major league. It's going to be first class. And it's just going to change everything. And it will take a little bit of time for all of these effects that we're talking about to happen. You're going to have some awesome things happen straight away, but the landscape will look so different in 10 years. We won't, we won't recognize it. Um, yeah, that that's what I'm excited about personally. So I know you are too. Um, anyway, uh, that's, that's the future. The future is bleak for everyone else. It's great for us. So let's just roll with that. Um, kind of moving on here as far as the now get back to the now um, the MLS playoffs are finally kind of sort of here we've been watching them come over the horizon like slowly they're kind of like credits the Star Wars credits if you put them in really slow motion they're coming they'll be here just not sure when but they're here and we kind of have an idea of who is who where is where um, Jason uh, how do you want to start this <laughs> There's been a lot of twists and turns on this thing. Um, it's This weekend is going to be fun. Uh, there's not as much up for grabs as we thought there could be, but decision day and everything around it will definitely be a lot of fun. Uh, everybody will kick off Sunday at 4 o'clock. Um, there will be a game on ESPN. There's going to be a game on FS1. They're going to have, a, I think, a wraparound channel on ESPN2. And they're going to have the pregame and postgame stuff on the MLS YouTube channel again, like they did last week. So it's going to be a crazy afternoon of MLS soccer. And we'll see how these things shake out. Uh, the Eastern Conference is, is locked in in terms of who's in the playoffs. But or uh, is New England actually completely eliminated? No. Uh, no, Philadelphia loses. Well, yeah, yeah, they have to win by twelve goals. Yeah, okay. So then Philadelphia has to lose. Okay, unless Juan Agudelo just goes absolutely insane, which he can do, but I'm not going to give him that much credit this time. You got to turn on FIFA and put it on easy. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. 
Unless so, Tom Brady's going to play, you know, unless Tom Brady's going to play the number 10 out there. Oh, geez. So we pretty much know the Eastern Conference, what's going on, but we might not know who's playing who. Um, the Red Bulls have the number one spot. New York City could get knocked out of the number two by Toronto, but it's not that likely. And then beyond that, it's a crapshoot. The Western Conference had some interesting things going on. Dallas, with a huge thank you to the fish, Carlos Ruiz, which is just amazing. Any Okay. Anybody. He won't die. He won't die. Anybody, anybody, anybody out there who was like, why are they signing Carlos Ruiz? That was why. He won't die. He's like Julio Franco. He won't go away. Whatever they paid him, whatever he's being paid for this short bit of time, he earned every bit of it, and I hope they double it because of that goal. That's why you sign a player like that in that situation. And it it came through. It absolutely came through. Um, If you had any doubts that he's absolutely going to just – stab somebody in the like stab some like theoretically stab someone in the hamstring stab their season in the hamstring in the playoffs he's gonna do it he's gonna he's gonna make a kid cry like he's gonna score a late goal and make some kid cry yep he's that guy and he's great i do not hate el pescadito in any way um that's because he hasn't broken your heart yet no it's true it's true but he is just i think he's He's come full circle to where now you almost just have to respect it. Uh, you have to respect the villainy out of him. So oh, yeah, I, I'm in. I'm in, and they they need a tie. Dallas needs a, a draw at least to clinch the supporter shield. They pulled off a, a big win tonight in Concacaf Champions League to go through. So they they won their group there. They're going to be in the knockout round of CONCACAF Champions League early next year, which is another big step for this club. Um, they actually went down 2 nothing in that game, too, and came back to win 5-2. So it's going to be a tough turnaround for them. They're going to be running on adrenaline, but they know they're going to have, you know, they're not going to have to play in that midweek game this time so they can kind of get back into a normal routine. They're going to want to win Supporter Shield. They're going for the treble full out. So the Dallas LA Galaxy game will be fun to watch. Um, the big dramas at the bottom of the Western Conference, where Portland could knock Kansas City out, and Salt Lake and Seattle at, at four and five aren't safe either. No, not at all. Um, and they play each other. So yeah, that's that becomes now. Um, which I think, you know. I'm mistaken. Seattle's not. Yeah, Seattle's not safe. No, Salt Lake's not safe. Yeah, like this could get this can get ugly really fast. Yeah, the West is going to be some chaos, and I mean, I'm, the, count, I'm counting on a Seattle Portland first round elimination, one off elimination chamber, hell in a cell kind of thing. And that one can't happen because, well, oh well, I don't think so. I mean, we're, I think we're getting into some crazy configurations of goals and goal differences and all that. I know LA is locked into the three Seattle wins. Well, you're, you're, you're going to give yourself a headache. <laughs> I'm already hurting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking like Seattle wins, Portland wins. Yeah, let, Let's not go there. So question one, do you think Portland gets in and at whose expense? Um, 
look at the schedule because uh, I just closed it out for some reason. They play Vancouver, and Kansas City is at. Oh, you don't think Vancouver's yeah. not going to try and wreck their year? I know they're they're definitely going to try, and Kansas City's at home to San Jose. If Kansas City can't get the win there and a fairly substantial win, no, they don't deserve it. Vancouver's hosting Portland. Um, you know, in that in this instance, you know, logic tells me that it's it's on a that this is sporting Kansas City's to lose, and. Well, I do love Portland, and I think Portland is a terrifying team if they get in. Like, here, like here's the thing: if you're the Galaxy and you end up at that third spot, you don't want to play Portland in a one-off. You you don't want to do that. Well, okay, so you're the Galaxy, so you're Bruce, and you're looking at this. You don't want to play Portland in a one-off. You don't want to play Seattle in a one-off. No, Portland just Portland has that kind of end of the year black magic thing that always. It always seems to rear its head. Something stupid will happen in that game, like an own goal off of Donovan's face. I don't know. Something like that. Like something totally stupid. And like, oh, that's that's how Portland knocked out LA. And we ended the Donovan return abruptly. LA, just they can't want anything to do with Portland and they can't want anything to do with, with Seattle. You know, I think they'd be okay with Kansas City or Salt Lake coming to the Stuff Up Center. I mean, honestly, they might not be too worried about Portland because Portland is not one on the road yet. No, but what a better time to do it. It's true, but it hasn't happened. They're 0-10-6 this year on the road. Just get it to penalty kicks. We saw what happened last year. Well, that's true. <laughs> and that's the thing is, um, Caleb Porter's team, if I'm him and it's like a late in the game and it's, oh, we can pour ahead and get countered for a goal, or they're willing to sit back. We're both willing to kind of sit back and take, okay, let's go to penalties. Well, I mean, you don't have Adam Corasai. You don't have the same goalkeeper. Uh, you have Gleason, who we haven't seen in a shootout yet, I don't think. To be fair, it wasn't the keeper that saved them last year. It was the, the actual goal. It's true, but yeah, it's, that's uh, I don't think they live that charmed of a life. So I I don't think they get in. I just don't think they beat Vancouver by more than Kansas City beat San Jose. Kansas City has a one goal advantage on goal yes. difference. Um, unless Wando, their records, their records are identical. Yeah. By the way, they're both twelve, eight, thirteen. Unless Wando goes nuts for San Jose on the road in a meaningless game for them, I I just think Kansas City ekes in. Um, They've been poor here the last, you know, probably month, month and a half of the season. Um, Seattle and Salt Lake are in an interesting spot because, you know, neither one is safe, but they're also playing each other. And as things stand, they would play each other again on Wednesday or Thursday in a knockout game. So... You know, how open is that game going to be in Seattle between those two? Or are they going to be basically kicking the ball around and looking at the scoreboards for Kansas City and Portland and say, oh, okay, now we need to play. Or, oh, ever, they're both losing, so we're okay. Did you ever see an episode of The Simpsons where they bring soccer to Springfield and like they the guys just stand out in the field and they pass around in a triangle and the fans get mad and boo? It's It's pretty much that. 
It, but the thing is, and that's where it gets weird because, okay, say that they both kind of play a vanilla style and neither one wants to risk anything. Well, then Kansas City goes up 2 nothing early and Portland goes up 2 nothing, and then Seattle would be out. And yeah, Seattle that's... has to turn it on. It's going to be nuts between those games. So there's three games, Portland at Vancouver, San Jose at Kansas City, and Salt Lake at Seattle, where they're all going to be scoreboard watching, and it's going to be absolute chaos between the three games. Yeah, there's. I still think that kind of that. Then that would be hilarious to me is if we get into that where Seattle's just kind of sitting back, and then they look up and uh, Sporting and Portland just have just turned on the afterburners. And then they have to just you start seeing the subs come in like pour it forward eleven guys forward everything you've got the, like the team at risk here I mean just from the way they play and kind of where they are it could be Salt Lake oh yeah even though they're in the four spot right now but this is this whole thing is so stupid the way it's like lined up right now not to say the I'm not saying the structure is stupid I'm saying just the situation is so stupid that the four could totally end up on the outside looking in like. Let's say Seattle just like smash and grab a goal early on and just decide to sit back and then Sporting and Portland go up. Like somebody's going to have to do something. It, it it could end up being one of those things where we get to an end of a game and oh, it's 7 minutes left in the game and the philosophy becomes we either draw or we lose by 2. It's yeah, I mean it's going to be very fluid and when you start to look at the probable results here, Kansas City beating San Jose I would bet on that, that the odds show that Kansas City should win that game. Portland at Vancouver, uh, you have to look at Portland's poor road record, but in a must-win at Vancouver, who has not been very good lately, except in CONCACAF, which is strange, but that's just how it goes sometimes. CONCACAF on CONCACAF. Yeah, exactly. Portland winning that game is not a shocker. And Seattle beating Salt Lake at home is not a shocker. So Salt Lake is in a tough spot. Got to hold serve somehow. Yeah, um, those, those games are going to be fun. And that's where, you know, there is a huge benefit to the playoffs and the playoff structure and the excitement that it creates because that's going to be just a wild experience for a couple hours for fans of those four teams. That's um, I, I'm here for that, and you know we'll have you keep 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 locked on Twitter because MLS Twitter right before the playoffs is going to be a lot of fun. MLS Twitter in the playoffs is going to be even more fun, and um, we may or may not have something lined up for next Thursday because that's when games will be going on. And uh, well, yeah, there's two games next Thursday, so there'll be two next Wednesday, two next Thursday, right? Yeah, so we may or may not have things lined up for next Thursday to get really fun uh, with the MLS playoffs. Uh, so, you know, you can always catch us on the Peachtree Post. Check us out at Twitter. That'd be a good place to find out what's going on. Uh, Dirty South Soccer as well. We'll keep you up to date if uh, if things get a little uh, wacky on our end. Coming up with that on Thursday as well, Jason. Yeah, we'll see what the schedule looks like. And we might have something special for you guys next Thursday night. Um Depends on who's playing what day and what time and, and all of that stuff, but we'll see. Um, and that all should come out Sunday night, I would expect, uh, yeah. once the 
the things are final. Because I'm sure the the TV games will be you know, set up as soon as possible on Sunday. So, uh, not a, I'll be watching everything on Sunday. Um, so, if you want to follow along with me watching this chaos, uh, I'll be at, at Longshoe on Twitter and possibly even at the Dirty South page as well at Dirty South Sock. Um, it's going to be a fun time, and there's lots of storylines going into these last last game for everybody. And there's going to be lots of storylines after it, too. I mean, you're going to have the knockout games, which we'll you know, be talking about next week for sure. And then you're also going to have the teams who are eliminated starting to make their moves looking at next year. And that's where you'll start to see maybe some clues as to who might be available in the expansion draft or who might be released or waived. Um, it's going to start to get real for Atlanta United after Sunday's games where team seasons are over and how they prepare for this off season and Atlanta and Minnesota coming into the league, you'll start to get those clues pretty quick. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a big key. Um, and I think that's something that doesn't get enough attention is keep an eye on not just when we get into the playoffs, but each round guys who stand out guys who impress you. And the closer we get, we get a better idea of what we can expect on the line. So uh, that's something to look forward to. Uh, hell, for all we know, going into the playoffs, like if you saw this week, like here's the thing, it can get really weird. Claudio Bravo trying to handle a ball out of his own box might just be, that might just be the warm up for what happens for all we know. So it could get fun. Um, not that that wasn't fun. <laughs> for some people it was. What's for me? <laughs> I needed something to laugh at. Um, the But anyway, uh, yeah, that about wraps it up. Um, another week of the Peachtree Post in the books. I'm Jarrett Smith. You can find me on t- Twitter at Jarrett underscore Smith. Find Jason Longshore on Twitter at Jason, uh, I'm sorry, at Longshoe. Sorry. Come on. Uh, at Longshoe. Check us out, Dirty South Soccer. We'll have everything up for you. Uh, keep you up to date what's going on with Atlanta and with the MLS coming into the playoffs and how it's going to impact Atlanta going forward. And, of course, anything breaking about the academy or the stadium situation, we got you covered. Find it on Dirty South Sock as well on Twitter. There's an Instagram. There is a Snapchat. If I'm, Is there a Snapchat? There is a Snapchat. There is a Snapchat. Um, I can't promise it won't just be like Eric Quintana dancing. I stay away from the Snapchat. Yeah, well, that's not my that's not my game either. Um, but either way, we are on Twitter. We're all on Twitter. Uh, be sure to check us out. We're on iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, I think we're on Overcast as well. Thanks again for another wonderful week. Thanks again, Jason. And we'll catch up next week on See the Peachtree Post. Muchas plata.